Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hello and welcome to the 228th edition of the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. In Nashville, Tennessee, I'm the professor, Matt Perkins. And a back shoulder fade across the Harpeth River from me here in the Music City, it's our own offensive coordinator, the coach, Corey Burton. What's up, Matt? Uh, glad to be back here. Uh, got a uh, Was finally able to put that uh, tough week behind me, and uh, let's look forward. George is on a bye week, so that's exciting as well. Let's get it going. I've got Georgia favored by six and a half over the bye. I don't know if they'll cover. It's going to be close. I mean, I the, the bye week is a two touchdown favorite over Vanderbilt. So I think that's going to be an easy win for them. But that we can't true. get started without the third amigo in the second city. A man who is quickly learning dog park etiquette. It's our intrepid <laughs> blogger from Big Ten and Counting, Josh Cook. Yeah, it's coming along. The, <sighs> the dog got a little bitey with Kristen this morning. She was not pleased, to say the least. But uh, we'll, we'll get her there. We'll figure it out. Yeah, and Josh, you had a little foray into the uh, in, into your local dog park the other day. That uh, you know what, what was new for both you and Questa. Yeah, and also learned that uh, a particular Chicago couple that looked very very hipstery uh, gets a little panicky at the, the dog park and picks their dog up for no reason. Yeah, that'll do it. That'll do it and make all the other dogs go crazy. All right. Well, we are here with your week eight preview. And but you can't forget to get started. Oh, God, I'm going to edit that out. All right. We're here with the week eight preview. And as you guys know, we here at Illegal Motion are brought to you by betonline.ag. The football season is in full swing. And while you may not be at the game this year, you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Guys, the Big Ten is finally back this week, which means that Bet Online has their odds out to win the conference title for wagering. Obviously, the odds favor Ohio State, but there are plenty of other teams who have a good shot at the title, unless your name is Rutgers. So we will get into those odds here in just a second. But between all your game spreads and totals, team player and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else online. Plus, there's always the online casino as well. It never closes. So head on over to betonline.ag today to take advantage of all of their great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. All right. Well, uh, let's hop right into it in the East, guys. Um, the Buckeyes are once again the prohibitive favorites. Minus 350 odds to win the conference. Coach, they are led by quarterback Justin Fields mm-hmm. and uh, as a coach and he was down at your alma mater there for a season at Georgia uh, what do you expect to see out of him in his junior season and then to piggyback off of that the Buckeyes are uh, their season win total is at eight and a half wins which means that the book is expecting them basically to run the table and win the conference title game what do you see happening well I mean this group is just as talented uh, as they were last year. I, I expect to see Justin Fields put up another Heisman worthy uh, type campaign. I don't. I don't know if he will uh, best our our guy down at Clemson in uh, Sunshine, uh, Trevor Lawrence. But I mean, if there was a system perfectly designed and perfectly suited for a quarterback, it would be Ohio State and Justin Fields. And what, what he does is just. Uh, perfect for what Ryan Day wants to accomplish at the quarterback spot, uh, even more so than anybody that – I mean, I, I think 
you know, this might be one of the most, since Tim Tebow, one of the most successful Urban Meyer system type quarterbacks. And, and yeah, I know it's Ryan Day, but it's still the Urban Meyer system. So uh, I think this is the best best quarterback prospect since Tim Tebow. And I think Justin Fields will have a really successful pro career. Yeah, I, I think that Fields is definitely has more of a pro career ahead of him than Tebow did because he's just much more of a natural thrower. Oh, yeah. Jo- I mean, the ball come, the ball just burst out of his hands. Josh, uh, how do you see the Ohio State team finishing out this season? Do you think that they will be able to run the table in the conference? Ooh, I don't know. We should probably uh, look at their schedule to do that. But what I wanted to say was, you know, Justin Fields is getting all the clippings as he should, and, and Coach did a great job of highlighting him. But what's scary for Big Ten fans is the receiving core appears to be outstanding on paper. They have a lot of other talented skill positions, as you'd expect. And then on top of that, their offensive line is legitimately one of the best in the entire country. So you are sort of thinking to yourself, all right, Ohio State's probably going to average about 35 points per game. Do we score that against them? And the answer for most teams in the league is going to be no. Yeah, so let, let's take a look at their schedule really quick. They open up with Nebraska at home. Uh, Josh, I think that's a win. Well, I mean, you know, Martinez is going to have to go off, but uh, I don't think any of us are expecting that to happen. Martinez in his, like, 14th season of eligibility. Well, according to Scott Frost, they have two starting quarterbacks. So, so uh, that means they have none, right? Either that according or to Steve Spurrier. Spurrier. Yeah, yeah, well, because uh, we saw how that worked with anyone not named Danny Werfel. Um October 31st, second week of the season, going to be the biggest challenge for them on the year. And that is when they have to head to Happy Valley and take on Penn State. So, Josh, do you think that Penn State will be the biggest challenger for them in the East? Mm, I would say yes, but don't want to be too hacky and say that Penn State will be declawed in this game. But the Big Ten's not allowing fans. So what would be a... Halloween whiteout crowd going crazy. It's going to be a almost entirely empty stadium. I can't remember if the Big Ten decided family can go or not, but either way, that thing's going to be a empty stadium for the most part. So, kind of throw out the home field advantage, and you take talent to talent. Penn State is not as deep as the Buckeyes. Yeah, definitely not. Um, you know, and, and especially. You know, we're not sure if Journey Brown's going to be able to play for them either. Uh, November 7th and 14th, they've got Rutgers at home and then they're at Maryland. Those should be two relatively easy wins unless you think that Maryland is on the come up. I don't think they're there quite yet, coach. No, they're not. Um, just simply put, they're not. And, and I think it's going to be, uh, you know, honestly, it, it's going to be hard in, in such a weird season to, to find somebody that's going to challenge the Buckeyes. I think the Buckeyes have a good chance uh probably not as probably not as easy as Clemson is running through the ACC but I think it'll be similar just because of the way they're built I, I think the teams that could potentially give them problems Penn State's one of them uh Michigan possibly maybe I don't know and then Wisconsin but other than that you know I, I think you know Iowa has too many distractions Minnesota just well they're Minnesota well and they yeah. don't even have those guys in the regular season so I mean Josh I mean they finish out their schedule they got Indiana at home at Illinois at Michigan State and then they finish up with the game uh at home against Michigan I don't really see them getting 
tripped up unless they have a big COVID outbreak, which I guess you can never uh, you know, completely discount in this season. No, and I, I mean, the other thing is, hate to say it, but sometimes teams just don't bring their A game. And for Ohio State, they've got their target on their back. I always think about the Jim Trestle era, their national title in 2002, Maurice Claret, that team was great. And yet they needed last-second heroics on the road against a terrible Illinois team that year. And so, you know, you figure they're going to get up for Penn State and Michigan. What if Indiana just catches light in a bottle? You know, uh, my Hawkeyes did a few years ago where they had a bunch of interceptions. They got just an absolute killer day and everything came together for the Hawkeyes. It's COVID, it's injuries, or that fluke game. And at that point, you're kind of betting on nature and God versus Ohio State. I, I think I'll take Ohio State. Yeah, I, I think I am too. Well, uh, Penn State is you know the next team with the next best odds uh, when it comes to regular season wins uh, at our friends over at Bet Online. They have them at over under at seven win so they're, they're expecting them basically to go seven and one uh with a one sole loss we would assume to be against ohio state josh uh what are you looking forward to in terms of the nits this year well you got sean clifford at quarterback um pretty good career so far are they bringing back mcsorley <laughs> <laughs> uh gotta see how he ends it um the wide receiver core not the most experienced in the league uh offensive line's pretty good so offense i'm not too worried about uh the defense though has a lot of new faces and that is one of the uh the bigger concerns obviously micah parsons no longer there if their defense which was pretty good last year 347 yards per game 16 points per game if their defense doesn't fall off totally you can see why they've got such high praise with the most unprecedented offseason that has probably ever happened since the World Wars, we don't know what those new faces are going to be like. That's what makes doing these prediction shows a total crapshoot, unlike most years. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Coach, the one guy I really love on this Penn State team, though, is Pat Firemuth, the tight end. He is an absolute animal. Yeah, he is. I mean, he he is a absolute part of... Uh, Absolute playmaker. I can't spit that out for some reason. Um, you know he's drawing. Uh, you know he's drawing comparisons to Mike Gesicki. He's uh, he's already tied his school record for touchdown catches by a tight end with fifteen. I mean he's a guy that's just a big target uh, in there in the in the red zone. Just somebody that Clifford can can rely on, and and, and just that guy that's always there. And and when you look at a tight end, when you look at the tight end position, Matt, you know it's. It's re really reassuring for the quarterback to have that guy um, and know where he is at all times. And for defenses, it can provide nightmare ma- nightmare uh, matchups and, and matchup problems and defensive coordinators to lose sleep trying to figure out who's going to cover Pat Fryermuth. Yeah, well, let, let's head over then to Michigan, who, Josh, they are down uh, if – 
if Penn State is up with Pat Frymuth, you know, as one of their best receivers coming back, Nico Collins has decided to opt out really late here in the process. And there is a lot of uncertainty on this Michigan squad, which Bet Online has slated for over under uh, six and a half wins. I think they hit the under. Yeah, I mean, this is this is a team that of the contenders, which I would say Michigan is probably the, the cut line of contenders in the East. They have by far the most unknowns. Um, you look at their defense, top three tacklers are gone. Okay, there's something we got to build on. Um, then on offense, well, the offense was pretty uneven, to say the least. In the second half of the season, uh, the offense just wasn't cutting it so it's yeah it's just i hate to be a broken record but michigan just feels like a team that will win the games they should but not surprise you against penn state or ohio state i just don't see the the legs there yeah coach you know it it just seems like josh was saying uh, another year another inevitable disappointment for the Wolverines in the Jim Harbaugh era. And we got to start to wonder, you know, is, you know, is, is this the end for Harbaugh at his alma mater? Is he going to, you know, take a new job soon? What do you think is going through his head at this point? It's got to be. I mean, it's very, very difficult to, you know, turn down the NFL. You know, you, you've got these NFL uh, people calling, you, you know, there's going to be, you know, there's probably going to be another six, seven jobs available in the NFL like there always is. And, you know, he's fended off, he's fended them off for the last couple of years. He's been rumored to go here, there, and everywhere. And, and so um, I think this is the year that finally happens. You know, there's all that distraction. I think Harbaugh has realized that this recruiting thing is really taking its toll on him. And that I, I think if anybody in the NFL gives him a shout – he might just – I mean, he's more suited for the NFL, honestly. I mean, I know he's a Michigan man and he knows the Michigan landscape. But when it comes to, like, the college game, he's a West Coast guy um, as far as that goes. I mean, he made his hay at Stanford. He made his contacts at Stanford. I, I just – it just feels like he doesn't quite understand what Big Ten football is and how it's modified in 2020 or, or even, you know, 2016 and on. Um, cause I, a, I don't think he's gotten modern. Uh, he still has, he still has somebody carrying around a cable on the sideline behind him with the, with the headset, like, like they did in the nineties. Um, you know, he's sponsored by Dockers. I think, I think he's the only person that buys Dockers now. Um, you know, I, I just think it's, you know, disappointment after disappointment after disappointment. If I'm Michigan brass, I've got it. I've got to decide, is it worth it to keep him around or can we get somebody more dynamic? And, you know, if there's somebody more dynamic out there that you have a chance at, do you pull the trigger? Maybe. Um, you know, de- depending on how the season goes, which I, I really don't think it's going to – I really don't think it's going to go well uh, for Michigan. I, I think they're they're missing a lot of pieces. You know, uh, McCaffrey, Dylan McCaffrey is not quite what they had expected or hoped. Maybe it's just a, a bad system fit. I, I don't know. Um, Josh Gaddis is a, is a very talented coach, but I, I just don't think a lot of that's under his control as far as uh, being the offensive coordinator. I'd like to see him in another scenario to see to get a really true uh, read on, on whether or not he's 
you know, a good offensive coordinator. So a lot of lot of variables in place for this Michigan team, and they've got to overcome a lot of different things, um, both on offense and defense. So yeah, coach, you mentioned Josh Gaddis, and I think that if you are a Wolverine fan, he is sort of the beacon of hope that you have. He's a coach that I have been very impressed by in his young career, and he's a guy who, from the people I've talented. talked to, is just talented, personable, energetic, and really is able to build relationships with players and develop them and get the best out of them. So if I'm a Michigan fan, that's what I want to hear. But I mean, thing- maybe, maybe Harbaugh moves on and if he doesn't go with them to the NFL, maybe they promote him uh, to, to the, to the big chair. And, and I think he's going to make a good head coach for somebody. Yeah. He'll make a good head coach for somebody sooner rather than later. Yeah. But, you know, at, at least for the time being, Michigan fans have to hope that, you know, he is able to work his magic for that offense, which is going to need some some serious work done this year. If Michigan falls out, uh, you know, I think the team that can really pop into the maybe not the upper upper echelon of the East, but at least the next step seems to be Indiana. Josh, they are slated at four and a half uh, wins for their over under by bet online. And it looks like the, you know, Tom Allen squad should be competitive, at least in most games that, that 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 they play. I'm very intrigued by the Utah transfer quarterback, Jack Tuttle, who is right now listed as the backup, but I think may get a shot I sooner like rather Tuttle. than later. You like yeah, Tuttles? You know, Indiana is one of those teams where we keep kind of picking them. We kind of love them. We, 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 we kind of secretly break. love them. On, we kind of secretly love them. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the quarterback position is going to be intriguing. You mentioned the, the transfer. They also have uh, Michael Penix, who played at times last year. Um, They're hoping to grow him. Uh, in addition to those quarterbacks, you have eight starters returning on offense. That's a nice bit. Uh, the defense looked pretty good at times, especially early in the season. Uh, kind of fell off the back end. And that's sort of been the mo of indiana where uh they are competitive now with their starters it's the two deep that they still need to fill in um and so when they have an injury it's just magnified you know ohio state has an injury it goes from a five star to another five star or at worst five star to a four star for indiana you know their starters are up to mostly three stars and a few four stars but their backups are like Low threes, two-star kids, maybe a couple walk-ons. So so for Indiana to make that leap, uh, we're looking for that defense to be consistent, not in-game, but start to finish for the season. Yeah, Coach, one of the things that intrigues me, though, about the defense over there at Indiana is the fact they're running sort of like this modified 4-2-5 and I think that as this game evolves, we're going to see more and more. And we've already started to see more and more teams, you know, just their base defense is five DBs or at least five guys who can run like DBs. Yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of where the game is evolving to. I mean, you're starting to see a lot of uh, the, the biggest trend is the three day, the, the three deep safeties. And then, you know, I guess whatever uh, play, whatever underneath. But um you know, you're starting to see some of that stuff too. And, you know, it's really interesting kind of what Indiana is doing over there uh, defensively. I'm, I'm, I'm really interested to study them a little bit more and, and try to figure out exactly how that system works and how they, you know, how they get guys um, in certain spots and, and, you know, just kind of how they align and play different formations. Um, I will say this about Indiana. Um, I, I, I know a fan base, 
that shouldn't, but absolutely does hate Indiana right now. And that's, that's UT. That's Tennessee. Uh, they absolutely hate, um, Indiana right now for, for collapsing in the bowl game and, and, and allowing Jeremy Pruitt to believe Jared Guarantano, uh, could get it done. (laughs) So, uh, you, you know, there's some, uh, you know, you know, there's some hatred there. So, uh, Indiana, you know, you just got to figure out how to play better down the stretch. I mean, you know, I think scheme wise, they're great. I, I just think they need to build depth. You know, I, I think they got guys in the right position. I, I think they have a good beat on what opposing offenses are trying to do against them. But they just got to, you know, they just got to continue to find a way to recruit. Um, they've got to recruit their home state a, a little bit better. I, I think there is some talent to be had there. Uh, but most of that talent uh, is going to either go to Notre Dame or go out of state to Ohio State, Michigan, you know, wherever. Um, and, and so they've got to do a better job of closing down their borders. I mean, you could say that about any school, but, um, you know, Indiana, especially, I, I think if they could do well in Indianapolis, I think they would, uh, I think you would start to kind of see them, uh, see them pop a little bit. So, um, just, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see kind of how they, how they fit. Cause they could definitely overachieve and make some noise. They're kind of like the Kentucky of, of the big 10 where, you know, they're going to, you know, they could go, they could either be a complete dumpster fire or they could sit there and win 10 wins and everybody scratching their head going, how did they win 10 games? So, well, I one, will say this Bloomington, one of my favorite road trips in the big Ten. Yeah. Bloom, Bloomington. Have, have you ever played sink the biz? Nope. No, it's a, okay. So I had a friend that went to Indiana law school, right? And uh, we went and visited him. It was during the summer. It wasn't even during football season or anything, but uh, we went up there and, uh, they have this game. Uh, I forget the name of the bar. They're all the only one. The only bar. The only place I remember in uh, Bloomington is uh, is Kilroy's on Kirkpatrick. There's a place called Kilroy's, and it was on Kirkpatrick. Uh, that was the name of the place. Very original. Um, but there was this other place we went to, and I kind of I kind of re- wish I would have stayed a little bit longer. Um, but I had to I had to leave uh, and and come on back home so I could be at work at Monday morning. And uh, so there's this game where you fill up, you know, a, a bucket of beer and you, you take a glass and it's like a big bucket and you take a glass and you fill it up a little bit so that, so that, so that it doesn't like flip over on you. But, and then you just take, you just take beer and, and pour it, pour it in the glass and whoever, uh, whoever sinks it has to pull it out and chug it. That's a that that's a new one. I have not. I'm not familiar with that one. Yeah. Um, so so whoever pulls it out. Yeah. Um, now I, I have been down for Little Five before, which is a lot of fun. What's but, that one? Oh well, Little Five is there the University of Indiana version of the Indianapolis 500. Um, yeah. It's basically just an an excuse to be even more wasted than usual on a weekend. So uh, what's the name of the game? Well, it's not a game. L- little five is like for like little 500, like Indy 500. And they have these um, like races and stuff that they do. It's a whole it's a whole oh, thing. Okay. We need to, we, we, we don't need to get into that right now. We need to keep moving on. Uh, let's get to Michigan State, who has a new head coach, Mel Tucker. Uh, coach he, he, the, won't, he won't be there very long. Well, he wasn't at Colorado very long. Uh, exactly. He, he said, I'm going to stay, and then he left to go to the Yeah, he left like a week after he said he was going to stay. They're, only, they're over-under is uh, three wins this season. 
And frankly, you know, they've cleaned house and I don't have a lot of expectations for for them this year. No, I mean, the I guess you can say that there's nowhere to go up for that offense. Their offense was dreadful last year. 22 points per game, rash of turnovers. Just they were stuck in neutral. I'd like to say all season long, but really it's been kind of a trend the last two, three years. There as the D'Antonio era came to an end. And then the defense is going to have six new starters. So a lot of turnover all over the place, starting with the head man. You figure if Mel Tucker is there for the long haul, you treat this as a glorious honeymoon season of playing all your youngest players, breaking them in, and try and get caught up to have 2021 hit the ground running and just treat this as you know, nine scrimmages and and take your lumps. Yeah, I think that's pretty much what you have to do, coach, because, you know, they're not it's going to be a bigger rebuild, I think, than people really realize, because that that program has been pretty decimated by more honestly off the field stuff than on the field stuff. Yeah. And and if he stays long term, which, you know, I hope for his sake, he does stay long term because he just needs to stay long term somewhere. Um, I, I think, you know, you were starting to kind of see what he was doing in Colorado. He was starting to really recruit uh, well at Colorado um, for, for their standards. And, and I think he was, you know, two or three years away from going above uh, what normal Colorado standards are as far as recruiting goes. So I think he's got a system in place and he's got a staff around him and brought a lot of guys from Colorado with him that I, I think he can get it done uh it, at Michigan State, eventually this year is going to be rough, but I think he can get it done if he if he hangs in there, stays uh, throughout the uh, throughout the long haul. You have an offensive coordinator who's familiar with this conference, Jay Johnson. He spent some time um, at the uh, University of Minnesota. He was a goof, um, and he uh, he joined with Kirby Smart uh, at Georgia. That's where he met Coach Tucker, and he was. Kind of like the he was kind of uh, Buster Faulkner's role uh, for Kirby uh, when when Kirby first took over the uh, the analyst that helped offensive coordinator uh, Jim Chaney kind of with the uh, off the field quarterback development stuff so he's really good at, at, at doing that stuff and and I think you saw um, the quarterbacks develop during his time there and when he left you saw a huge drop off in that so uh, there's some talent there as far as that goes and you know I I don't know much about Scotty Hazelton as defensive coordinator but. Uh, I imagine Mel Tucker being a defensive coordinator himself will, you know, will have his stamp on, on that unit. So, um, you know, Michigan state is definitely in good hands if it's long-term or if he stays long-term. But uh, one of the things I worry about with Mel Tucker is he has commitment issues. And so, and, and Michigan state is a, is a team that needs somebody uh, to, to come in and build the program and build it the right way. So, um, I'm excited for the hire. Uh, I think they did a good job with the hire um, if he stays long-term. Yeah. Here's what Michigan State is playing for. They're playing for uh, Nick Saban to eventually retire at Alabama, be a commentator for a few years, and then pull a Mac Brown and head on back to his glory days of the 90s. I mean, <laughs> uh, he's going to hire Plaxico Burris as his uh, wide receivers coach. and he's gonna Oh, not his sergeant at arms? <laughs> <laughs> Um, (laughs) um, let's quickly head down to Maryland. Mike Loxley in his second season has a super 
super young team, Josh. Does Loxley have more uh, seasons coached or wins at this point? Uh, <laughs> it's I, I, I think that's a push. I think we're at about five of each. Um, and, you know, their over-under is two wins. And, you know, outside of Rutgers, I'm not sure who they can beat. Um, I think the biggest thing for them might be the fact that they have uh, they have Tagovailoa light to his little brother, Talia Tagovailoa, uh, transferred in. Oh, wouldn't you know he's a quarterback? So obviously he got a waiver <laughs> to play immediately. He is listed as the co-starter for week one. Alongside he's the Rich- brother of new Dolphins starter. Yeah, alongside uh, alongside redshirt freshman Lance uh, Legendre. And this is just if you look up and down this team, man, they have almost no experience coming back. And it's going to be really tough sledding for them, Josh. Yeah, I mean, this preview is pretty simple. Uh, Maryland finished DFL in defense last year in the conference. I don't care how good the new players are. If their defense isn't at least got a pulse, it's going to be another long season. They they gave up points in droves last year. Yeah, they 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 really did. And honestly, coach, there's not a whole lot to add to that. And there's not a whole lot to say about Rutgers either, besides the fact that Greg Schiano is back. What is old? Besides is new. the fact they're looking at Georgia Tech and going, "Come on, man, really?" <laughs> um, because you know it's Rutgers, man. What is old is new again. We've got Greg Schiano back. And, you know, if you look at their depth chart, it's just a bunch of transfers and JUCOs and, you know, a, a bunch of guys you sit, you, you've seen they're ex- elsewhere. They're excited about Arthur Sitkowski. Are they? <laughs> he, no, he's not even like he's listed as a co starter. <laughs> um, who, I was being sarcastic. Yeah. Well, because- look, here, here's all you need to know about Rutgers last year. They scored 59 points on 159 points on the season. 92 of those 159 points came in two games. One against definitely an FCS opponent. Is that yep. bad? And then yeah. one one against it's going to be like whatever the worst team in the MAC is. Yeah, 67 points in their other 10 games. Do a little arithmetic. I believe that's 6.7, which is less than a touchdown per game. Rutgers is the opposite of Maryland. I don't care about the new faces. I don't care about the youth. I don't care who they're breaking in. Unless that offense shows any sort of pulse, it's going to be a long season because they couldn't score a lick. They could not. All right, let's head over to the West. Uh, Wisconsin is the favorite once again in the West. Bet Online has their over. Oh, I should say before I get into that, Rutgers was listed as over and under one and a half. They'll be lucky to get. Uh, They'll find it- a way to push that. Yeah, they'll, they'll somehow get a tie, even though you can't have a tie in uh, college football. Uh, yeah, Wisconsin, they'll figure it out. Uh, the Wisconsin Badgers are the favorites yet again in the West. Uh, their over-under is only actually six and a half, which to me is a little bit low, considering that Bet Online is considering the Big Ten title game a regular season game. So that means basically that we, if assuming that Wisconsin is the champ of the West – they're predicting them to be like six and two heading into the title game. And that seems a little bit unreasonable, even with Jack Cohn uh, sidelined for the foreseeable future with a foot injury. The future uh, coach is bright at the quarterback position. Graham Mertz, who is now a redshirt freshman, will get the start, who was the number two quarterback in prospect in the country in the class of 2019. And people are jazzed, uh, jazzed. 
What 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 is this? Nineteen eighty seven? Like throwing up jazz hands. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I you know, I, obviously, I'm a Badger. I'm a Badger fan. And Graham Mertz just transferred to Rutgers. <laughs> uh, well, it, it could be worse. He could transfer back to his home state of Kansas. Yikes! Uh, but no, I I mean, <laughs> coach I mean, Skyler Tom Skyler Thompson's is out. So at but, Kansas State, not yeah. not 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 uh, not KU. Um, is he a Jayhawk? Coach, you know, do you think the Badgers should be the favorites again going into the season for the yeah, West? No doubt. No doubt. I mean, until until somebody knocks them off, until somebody proves that they can knock them off, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I know they lose some guy named Jonathan Taylor and Quintez. Yeah, he Sufus. was okay. He was all right. Um, but, uh, you know, Wisconsin has shown the distinct ability to not only recruit but replace, you know, stars and especially stars at the running back position where they just keep cranking out talent after they just keep cranking out back after back after back after back. I mean, I I don't think there was, was there a year where there wasn't an all American running back uh, since Ron Dane? I I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) But like, I I don't know if they, there definitely hasn't been a year where they haven't had a thousand yard rusher in like 25 years. Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, it's, it's a thing of beauty. I mean, they, they make 32 personnel cool. Oh, it's so cool. And you know what? Fullback is deep, baby. They have three scholarship fullbacks, all who are going to see the see the field this year. Mason Stocky, John Chanel, and Quan Easterling. Man, they, 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 they've got some, they got some big boys back there. Uh, the position I'm actually weirdly worried about is middle linebacker this year. They have two thumpers in Jack Sanborn and Leo Chanel, the fullback John Chanel's uh, little brother, who is an absolute hoss. He put up 225 pounds on the bench 44 times as a true freshman. Yeah, Matt. I mean, look, losing Zach Bond and Chris Orr, they were great linebackers. But barring... COVID-related departures or what have you, at least on paper, 18 of the top 20 tacklers are back for Wisconsin. So, yeah, yeah, they lost some heavy hitters, but... It's actually... uh, It's 17 of the top top 20 now because Reggie Pearson is academically ineligible. So, so Matt, let me ask you a question. (laughs) Did Jim Leonard leave? Nope. Okay, you'll be fine. There you go. Yeah, Jimmy, uh, Jimmy Leonard, I... I have full faith. And the thing I'm worried about, though, Wisconsin, man, like always a bridesmaid, never a bride. Wisconsin, coach, I hate to say this, Wisconsin is the Georgia of the Big Ten. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Um, you're absolutely right. They're, they're always no, think, there, but not Iowa quite. Was, I think Iowa's more of the Georgia. They were until Georgia fired James Coley. So you're up. You're next. <laughs> um, so, no, that's a great comparison because they're always in the Big Ten title game, but they always finish second to – Ohio State. Ohio State, who is the Alabama of the Big Ten. So mm-hmm. um, I think it's a great comparison. Um, you know, I, I think that they, they've they just got to find, you know, they, they're they not going to out-talent Ohio State. That just, that's just not going to happen. Uh, so they got to find, you know, teams like that have to find ways to win. I mean, Georgia thought they could out-bully uh, and out-Alabama, Alabama, which is not possible. So Georgia made some changes, and Georgia hung with them for a little while. Um, and then I think, uh, you know, the five ten walk on quarterback uh, started panicking a little bit in the second half and turned the ball over a lot, and that that was the difference in the game. So, um, but they they were finding different ways to score. They were, you know, their their philosophy on offense is a lot different now. Um, but Wisconsin is going to have to find a way to make 
what they do traditionally work for what they do in this modern era. And I think yeah, Grant, well, Mertz is, I, Grant Mertz is a perfect guy for this. Exactly. like that, And that's the difference. Now that they have the be- high four-star quarterback coming in to, you know, the kid who is, you know, 6'5", 225 with a, with a howitzer attached to his right shoulder. So, yeah. so we'll, it, it's going to be fun to watch because – you're gonna get it. You're gonna get a heavy dose of 32 personnel and 22 personnel, but you're also gonna get a great spread attack that's uh, that's attached to it as well. And I think that, you know, I think that Joe Rudolph has his uh, has his work cut out for him uh, as far as trying to find some explosive plays for for what they do. And you know, I, I think that uh, it's gonna be very important for um, for the running back position to really step up. I mean, you know, here's another similarity. You know, you lose a superstar running back. Um, obviously, uh, Jonathan Taylor was uh, slightly better than uh, DeAndre Swift, but um, you know both you, pretty darn good. Both pretty darn good, and you lose all of that production. And for the first time, uh, Georgia doesn't. Re- Georgia did not return a, a running back that rushed for a thousand yards. And I think Wisconsin's in the same scenario. So yeah, they, they're yeah, going to have know. to find somebody to, to to step up and see kind of who the best fit is. And it might be a committee approach. At first, until they find oh, it's that, definitely going to be committee guy. of Garrett Groshek, the uh, you know the Richard Senior, former walk-on high school quarterback who does a little bit of everything. On my uh, on my depth chart season preview, I talked about that he'll probably get the most snaps, but Nakia Watson, who is now a redshirt sophomore, will probably get the most rushes and rushing attempts. The guy that a lot of people though are really excited to see, Jalen Berger, two true freshman out of New Jersey. Uh, we, Wisconsin has had a history of New Jersey running backs. Ron Dane, Anthony Davis, Corey Clement, Jonathan Taylor, and Berger's just the next line in, a, in, in super talented running backs from New Jersey to come to Wisconsin who could do really, really big things. I would not be surprised if he breaks out and you know is getting a lot of snaps midway through the season. Uh, what school is he from in Ramsey? Uh, I don't remember off the top of my head. Is that, is that where Paramus Catholic is? Uh, yeah, yes, he is from Paramus, actually. Okay, that's a great program. So, you'll, you'll, yeah. Um, so we need to keep moving on, though. Next, uh, Minnesota. Um, uh, the Golden Goofs are slated as an over under at six regular season wins. Josh, uh, PJ Fleck, uh, is still rowing the boat up there. Uh, you know, they've got Rashad Bateman back. So, you know, they, they've definitely got some talent out there at wide receiver who was opted out and now has opted back in. Uh, what can Minnesota do to push the Badgers in the West? Well, it starts with that offense. You know, you mentioned Bateman, but also Tanner Morgan, their quarterback, really efficient. Um, as I was prepping my notes, I loved this. Uh, go for sixth in the nation in yards per completion. They loved the big play. They really stretched you downfield. The offense should were be pretty good. And, they were 12th in finishing drives, too, on offense. Yeah, yeah that offense should be really good. Uh, defense is going to have some new faces, but, yeah, I, I think that the Gophers could just do like they did last year and ride big plays to some big wins. We saw that against Penn State. We saw that against Wisconsin. Yeah, they yeah, I mean, Go for it, coach. Oh, they returned their entire offensive line. And, and, you know, when you can have that and the and continuity within the coaching staff, it, it, that that's a recipe for success. You have a veteran coming back at quarterback. Rashad Bateman said, this is looking pretty appealing. So I'm, I'm jumping back in the boat and I'm going to grab the oar and I'm going to start rowing again. Um, you know, let's look at the tight end position. You know, we, we look at tight ends in this, uh, 
in this league. You know, they're going to have to lean on uh, Jake Jake Paulson, the junior, um, and then Brevin Span Ford. I, th- I think those are two guys to to watch for as they emerge as targets that are opposite of Rashad Bateman. And you're going to see some guys get opportunities because of Rashad Bateman. Uh, and and so I, I'm excited to watch this offense. I you know despite how cheesy we think PJ Fleck is or whatever you want to say about him, his offense is getting it done. Let's just put it that way. And and you know. To, to be to be object completely objective about it, his offense is, is doing doing really well, and uh, you know, and I would say the same thing if I was talking about Georgia Tech, and 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 I would be, you know, I would give them credit where credit is due. They don't get much of that right now, though. But, well, I can't be objective it, about it, them. It, well, Matt, the, the other thing too is you gotta love their schedule. They open with Michigan at home. I've already talked about how Michigan is. You know, on paper has some pieces, but we're not sure how everything will work. Then they travel to Maryland, who we've talked at length about. Their defense was atrocious last year, so you got to like them in that one. Then they go to Illinois, who we'll talk about here shortly. Host Iowa, host Purdue. At Wisconsin, no crowd, so Camp Randall won't be jumping around on November 28th. And then they end with Northwestern and at Nebraska. I mean, there's a very real chance that if they split the Michigan and Wisconsin game, they don't lose any other game on their schedule. Like, you know, we went chalk with the East. There's a lot to like about this Gopher team. And if you're looking for someone to shake things up and get to the Big Ten title game, who we don't always expect to get there, the Gophers would be that team. Yeah, obviously Wisconsin and Ohio State being the chalk, but you know Minnesota definitely has uh, has a pretty I don't want to say easy path, but they have a a, a, a pretty manageable path to Indianapolis. Advantageous. Uh, ooh, but they they've got to get over that Wisconsin hurdle. Yeah, mm-hmm. didn't that, they beat them last year? Two years ago. Two years ago. La- last year. Recent. Yeah. Um, but what- but once every once every blue moon is not getting over the hurdle. True. Yeah, I mean that 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 that's twice in twenty years. That that's like that's <laughs> like saying, yeah, Kentucky finally beat Tennessee. They're over the Tennessee hurdle. Nah, they ain't over that hurdle yet. <laughs> I mean, yeah, the, yeah, may, maybe they, nah. they cleared that one hurdle, but in, nah. in, the, in the steeplechase, that's really not you know you know yeah. you, you're doing you, that you more cleared than one. Once. You cleared one hurdle and got smacked in the face by the next two. So, <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> or the previous two, however you want to look at it. But yeah. Uh, Josh, um, you know, speaking of hurdles, uh, Brian mm-hmm. Ferentz is coaching. Um, what? Iowa. <laughs> Iowa is uh, not great. Seamless. Nothing. Nothing to see here, folks. Move except along. really, except really boring, uh, discombobulated, disjointed offense. I know how that feels, uh, Josh. I really do. Yeah. So, Josh, give me the lowdown of the Hawks this year. New quarterback. Okay. Uh, you know, um, new, new strength coach. <laughs> um, fewer sh- racists, presumably. Presumably. Um, okay, let's do Iowa objectively before going to the off the field stuff. So, objectively speaking, outstanding skill position set. One of the best skill position sets Iowa's had in recent memory. The problem is you're passing the keys off to someone brand new. Now, a lot of people love Nate Stanley. Nate Stanley won a lot of games. 
I just saw him, you know, missing the broadside of the barn on too many throws, lacked any sort of touch on deep throws. But he knew the offense. He did fairly good at reading things. He did fairly good at audibling out of some plays. Not nearly as good as you'd expect a senior to do. But it's not for nothing. You're you're taking off a three-year starter who had over 8,000 passing yards. So in classic Ferencian fashion, the backup attempted 10 passes last year. Nice. Even in blowouts, if Spencer Petras got on the field, he was not allowed to throw at all. Um, there's a redshirt freshman. There's also a true freshman who had some buzz, uh, Deuce Hogan and Alex Padilla. Um, Padilla's the redshirt. Hogan's the true fresh. Yeah, maybe we see them. I don't know. But that's the great question mark is the quarterback. Uh, offensive line's always pretty solid at Iowa. Um, the defense is going to have a lot of new faces. Uh, the top three playmakers in that backfield, the defensive backfield, are gone. Um, seven overall defensive players also gone. So you would trust defensive coordinator Phil Parker works some things out and the defense doesn't fall off a cliff. Uh, special teams might be the best in the Big Ten. Uh, kicker Keith Duncan, I loved this stat. Uh, he was asked to attempt 18 field goals of more than 40 yards a season ago. Any guess on how many he made? How many did he attempt again? 18. Made 14. You nailed it, Coach. Nice. Uh, I was was gonna say 13, so yeah. Yeah, so uh, Brian Ferentz can have a classic Ferencian drive of 20 yards, but Ferencian. <laughs> but if it if it's <laughs> sounds if like it's a psychologist. Anywhere, yeah, if it's anywhere near field goal range, Iowa can get some points. Uh Imar Smith Marset, really good kick returner. So you love their special teams, you love their skill position. Do they have a quarterback who can carry the keys at least somewhat? Does a defensive emerge? Those are the big question marks. That's the preview if Iowa didn't have hands down the worst offseason in college football. Um, What is the mindset of these players? Do they, you know, circle the wagons a la your Buffalo Bills, Matt, and say, Josh, 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 they they can't because nobody circles the wagons like the Buffalo Bills. Yeah. But do they come out with an edge and say, you know, F you to everyone else and they play really hard, or are their fingers being pointed in that locker room? And we see a major rift between coaches and black players. And, you know, if you're another player in that locker room who is like caught in a crossfire, what's their mindset? So, look, I, I mean, I've said it on the previous shows. The initial players talked a lot about Chris Doyle. I was good with them dumping him. Uh, I sort of felt like Ferentz had a little TBD with him. This letter is pretty bad. I mean, there's no way to put it. If, If you have a football policy where 
players aren't allowed to have certain haircuts and the haircuts are all, oh, I don't know, afros, cornrows. It's like, well, gee, that doesn't really affect Nate Stanley. <laughs> if if you're having a policy about you can't have certain tattoos or display a lot of tattoos. Well, let's be honest. Ever since Allen Iverson totally changed tattoo culture, tattoos have been an important part of youth culture, especially for black people. So it's hard to say those policies impact whites and blacks the same. BS. No, they don't. So if that is true, what those players are alleging in that letter, that is a major, major, major red flag of Kirk Ferentz. On top of that, they allege comments made by Brian Ferentz. Now, Brian Ferentz, let's be fair, his egregious coaching deserved to be fired outright. I mean, this is just hopefully another final nail in the coffin. The problem is Iowa has a retiring president who doesn't really care, who was from the business world. That was That's what he did before. He doesn't really care about the academics of the university. He doesn't care about the appearance of the university as long as it's making money. You have Gary Barda, the athletic director, who is all about making money. And football has made him a lot of money. So he doesn't give a um, he has actually lost money in terms of lawsuits. Gary Barter, athletic director, was sued and lost at court for essentially firing a female coach because she was a lesbian. He deliberately cut programs with COVID that he was like, well, it's because we're not having the football season. And then the football season comes back. It's like, are you bringing them back? And he's like, uh, no. Not for nothing, if you're looking for a pattern, Two of the sports he cut have extremely high representation of gay male athletes. So this is a pattern of Gary Barta being a disgusting human being. This university is an increasing embarrassment every time I see a headline. And am I going to watch the football season? Yeah, because I'm a Neanderthal. Am I going to like be heartbroken over losses like I have been in the past. No, I don't really give a shit. Preach. I mean, I don't, I don't think we need to say anything more about Iowa coach. So let's move on to uh, let's move on to Nebraska and uh, Nebraska. The first two seasons under Scott Frost have been a little bit uh, underwhelming and they're only slated for over under four wins this season. Uh, Coach, what do you think they can do to, you know, to right the ship there in Lincoln? Um, find a way to grant lifetime eligibility to Adrian Martin. No, I don't know. Um <laughs> They're going to. Uh, I mean, they they've got a rough go at it. I, I think Scott Frost uh, kind of. Uh, I feel like at times he probably regrets signing on at Nebraska because he didn't realize how terrible it was and how terrible Mike Riley left it. Um, it was in bad shape. It was kind of like Nebraska is kind of like what Butch Jones left at Tennessee. It was brutal uh, as yeah, far as the cupboards were barren. And, and it's not like you're sitting in the southeast with, uh, you know, five great states surrounding you that you can that you can recruit out of, including your own home state, which is drastically improving year by year. Nebraska, I mean, aside from getting whatever they can get in Texas or Oklahoma, there's not much 
for them to recruit for. So it's going to be like a much harder project for them to rebuild. I mean, you don't feel good about the Dakotas. I mean, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, you got Carson Wentz, you know, if they can find another Carson Wentz, maybe or Trey Lance or Trey Lance. Yeah. But those guys are, would actually rather stay at North Dakota state than go yeah, to Nebraska. The, the Fargo dome. Yeah. No, no. The, what they're going to do is they're going to get Trey Lance on a, instead of going uh, to the NFL, he's going to get a grad transfer. And get like a six year of eligibility just to go play for the Cornhuskers. Um, yeah, somehow I doubt that. Yeah, no, no. Um, but I mean, it, the the point of that is is saying that you know Nebraska used to be able to rely on you know they used to be able to recruit nationally because they could rely on Tom Osborne and his national reputation and the reputation that they were a strong program. They ain't that anymore. You know, Lincoln. No, Nebraska, because like kids growing up these days, Josh, like. They did not grow up with Nebraska as a national powerhouse. When was the last time Nebraska won a national title? 25 years ago, 1995. And if you have a choice between Austin, Texas and Lincoln, and Lincoln Nebraska. Nebraska, or if you have a chance, or even I'll go a step further, if you have a chance to go to a big city, like I would even venture to say that I would probably rather go to Minneapolis or Chicago over uh, Lincoln, Nebraska to, to play at Northwestern or to play at Minnesota. Like, cause there's more to do. Yeah. There, 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 there really is not a whole lot to do there. In, I mean, in, in Lincoln, I mean, Josh, you know, we've been to games there. It's, you know, outside of the stadium, they're not, there's not a whole lot else. Yeah. I mean, Lincoln, Lincoln is, I think my second least favorite trip in the big 10. West After Lafayette. Purdue, yeah. yeah. West Lafayette's easily the worst. Um, just Purdue's in, in a teeny, teeny, tiny town. Uh, Lincoln at least has restaurants. But, yeah, I mean, you, you talk about the national title. Well, I mean, if Nebraska had a few close calls, you could be like, well, okay, so they had some bad luck. Their last title was in 95. But in their last close call, we're approaching the 20th anniversary of that 01 team that got worked by Miami work in the they BCS. Got, that game was Worked. over. I mean, game was over by the first quarter, man. That that they I got mean, sh- they got shelled. I mean, Eric Crouch is in his 40s just to make at least myself feel old. Yeah, I know. I was oh, a senior hey. in high school when that when that game took place. Yeah, that was uh, you know, I was a yeah, I mean that means I was a sophomore. So, well, I'll, I'll, I'll end this with Nebraska. So they started at 2018 Scott Frost first year, four and eight, but their four wins all came in the back stretch. They went mm-hmm. four and two down the back stretch. So you're kind of like, okay, things started terribly, but they finished strong. They're just well, like Tennessee. Well, in 2019. This is why people have such a bitter taste in their mouth because 2019 they went five and seven. On paper, they improved by a win, except it was reversed. Their final uh, six games, they went one and five. So this Nebraska team, we really don't know if they're improving or not. And you sort of see that with, Taylor Martinez being announced as their their starting quarterback, and you're just kind of like, uh, him again? Okay, okay, let's let's roll it back and just see what happens. 
Yeah. So, um, all right. Well, let's move on then, Josh, to your least favorite city in the Big Ten, West Lafayette, Indiana. Uh, the Purdue Boilermakers, uh, their coach is in quarantine. Their team is slated for over under three and a half wins. And you know what? You know, at least you're not quarantined, West Lafayette. <laughs> I'll say this about Purdue. Probably one of the reasons why I have such a distaste for those trips is it is the only stadium with the Rose Bowl that I'm 0-3 at in games. I've yet to see a win in Pasadena or in West Lafayette. Um, here's the thing with Purdue. Um, yeah, they still have Rondell Moore. They still have some nice pieces, but uh, it's just... I thought Rondell Moore opted out. I can't remember now. Well, this is what happens when it's 10 o'clock and Josh has fallen asleep. Um, but yeah, like the problem yeah, he's, is... Yeah, he's opted, yeah, he he opted, opted out. Well, then yeah. that's, that's, it makes things even worse. But what I was going to highlight, even if he, if he had stayed in, what I was going to highlight was... They seem to have like one or two players that make you excited and everything else just hasn't fallen into place. Now they've had a rash of injuries. Quarterbacks been hit hard the last few years. But the the problem is that Brom did so well his first year that you thought it was going to come really easy. And he's now coming off a four and eight season. Um, some of the fans haven't been enjoying him putting family members on his staff. Seems like his recruiting hasn't been as uh, enthusiastic as it was when he first got there once he got a big contract. And I love this from the ESPN preview. They said that uh, Brom will begin the season sideline after testing positive for the coronavirus, which could bring with it unknown effects. But considering how competitive the Boilermakers still manage to be for much of 2019, it seems likely that they should resume a top 50 or higher level of play. Um, how many Division One FBS teams are there again? Uh, there are 130. So top 50 doesn't seem like that high of a aspiration. No, right that, that, that means like you're in like the top 40%, basically. Yeah. Yeah, so it's it, it it it's not it, it's not great. It's not great, uh, Coach. The 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 two teams from the state of Illinois are going to round out the rest of the Big Ten: Northwestern and Illinois. Northwestern over under three and a half wins. Illinois uh, at, at you know at the bottom with over under three wins. You know, anything good you can say about either of these teams this season? Uh, Illinois has cool looking uniforms. Do they though? I, I mean, I mean they're I better like, than Northwesterns. Northwesterns are hideous. It's a good color combination, at least. Uh, I, I like the helmets with the eye. Um, <laughs> let's see. So, so they'll look good while they're losing, is what you're telling me. Yeah. So let's look at their advanced stats here. Uh, their efficiency on offense, 115th. On defense, 58th. Uh, field position, they were ranked 32nd in field position. Uh, defense, 43rd. So they're at least achieving good field position, which is helping special teams. Um, explosiveness, they were ranked 116th, so they can really only go up. 
Um, defense ranks 60th, uh, so middle of the pack, not bad for a bottom feeder. Uh, finishing drives, um, well, they 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 finished what little drives they had. They ranked 63rd uh, on offense. Defense, they ranked 42nd in, in uh, finishing drives and getting off the field, which is not bad, better than I expected. And adjusted turnover margin, they ranked uh, their projected uh, versus their actual uh, – I don't know how to read that stat. But, um, you know, I, I think that when you look at it, they have uh, a good bit of experience coming back on offense, nine starters. So you have to think things will get better. Quarterback Brandon Peters is a senior veteran leader. Uh, so you have to believe that they will see a slight uptick in production. How much of an uptick? Probably not much. But, you know, you'll, you'll see something. Uh, you'll see them be a little bit more competitive. They, re- they return uh, of those nine starters on offense. You have three offensive linemen, including their center, which is uh, the quarterback of the O-line. Uh, Matt, you kind of know a little bit about uh, centers. Thing or two. Uh, they they returned three wide receivers um, with a ton of experience. Uh, Josh in here, however, lay uh, <laughs> as a senior. Uh, Donnie Navarro and Ricky Smalling. These names in the Big Ten are killing me. Um, there's no like Ricky Smiths or Devonte Smiths or you know Jalen Waddles. It's all it, like this one big like the Big Ten would kill in Scrabble. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean I mean just to tie a bow on things. Special teams will be fun for Illinois. Let's just put it yeah. that way. Just, just to tie a bow on things. You know, Illinois coming off a bowl. They got some decent pieces. They they hired a St. Louis area high school coach to help with recruiting. They got some four-star kids out of the area. Um so Illinois is a team where I think I think they could steal a game here too i don't think they're hopeless northwestern their offense absolutely atrocious year ago they averaged 6.9 points per game against a bunch of power five uh power conference teams excuse me to start the year their their offense was dreadful 122nd in offensive sp plus and um well fitz decided to do something he doesn't really do because he's quite the loyal coach he dumped Mick McCall, much to the praise of all the Northwestern fans. Their defense is going to be good. They got some nice pieces back. Um, Patty Fisher, Blake Gallagher, linebacker, both pretty good players. But the offense can't turn it around overnight, so probably still another long season for Northwestern. Yeah, probably. So, all right, well, that is going to wrap up my uh, – that, that is going to wrap up our Big Ten preview – uh, let's hop in though quickly, guys. We are going to we are going to burn through our uh, week eight preview here for Illegal Motion. Um, we're going to start Josh with a battle of Tobacco Road, not Duke and UNC, but NC State, UNC, NC State coming off of a big victory, uh, UNC coming off of a big loss. Who do you like in this one? Ooh, it, it's going to be a fun game. This is probably one of the games outside of the Big Ten. I'm most excited for both teams nationally ranked as well uh nc state awesome through five games way better than we expected but i really like north carolina last week i know they lost but as i highlighted in our wrap-up show they just kind of out coached themselves uh it took them a while to get going but howell still ended with some fairly good stats i think north carolina is still a tad better 
And they have to be pretty angry after feeling like they blew a chance for a, a marquee win against Florida State. I guess Florida State's always kind of a marquee win in the ACC. Obviously not this year. Coach, how do you not feel about this one? All. How do I feel about it? Mm-hmm. I don't know how I feel about it, honestly. Um, I, I think there's, uh, you know, it's not, you know, I agree with Josh on that. It's just not much of a, uh, Florida State's not a marquee matchup anymore. Let's just be honest about that. Yeah, it, it, it really isn't. It, it's pretty sad. Over in the Big 12, we've got Iowa State and Oklahoma State. Josh, I know you're you're pretty high on, on, on the clowns right now, uh, but Oklahoma State is the only undefeated team left in the Big 12. Who do you like? Well, let's give some love to Oklahoma State. They are undefeated. They're the last undefeated team in the Big 12. Sixth in the country, though. Feels a little high. Um, you might recall they beat Tulsa by nine points. They beat West Virginia by 14 points, and they beat Kansas. Okay, it was by 40, but that's not exactly a murderer's row. Iowa State, obviously, with the marquee win over Oklahoma. Uh, I don't know who's going to win this game. I think it'll be a fun game, but uh, being an Iowa born and raised son of the Hawkeye State, I can tell you who I'm rooting for. And that's the Cyclones. Would love to see them win the Big 12. That'd be such a feather in their cap. Yeah, uh, Coach, obviously, you know, Chuba Hubbard has, you know, has this team along with Tylen Wallace uh, rolling on offense, but they really haven't had any competition yet. No, they haven't. And and this will be, you know, the scheme that Matt Campbell comes in. You know, I I talked earlier uh, in the Big Ten preview about, you know, the three safety look and and the the condensed uh, odd front. And, Iowa State does a tremendous job defensively scheming and, and getting guys in position to make plays. Whether or not they will do that is 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 up to, uh, you know, that's up for debate uh, week in and week out. But, you know, I, I think in, in some big games that they have shown that and they have proved that they can make those big plays. And, and, and I think they've, they've got a, a little bit of chip on their shoulder. I, I think they've played – um, outstanding since uh, the the uh, Raging Cajun loss, and, and I think that was kind of a wake-up call for them. I feel like Iowa State's kind of the anti-Big 12 team because they actually do play a little bit of defense. And, and I think that, um, you know, honestly, I, I've always said that uh, Oklahoma State's kind of that papier-mâché tiger where, you know, they look good, they look good, they look good, and then they don't. And then you kind of see who they really are uh, in, in a few games and a few matchups. And, and I start, I'm starting to think that teams start kind of starting to turn on. I, it, it won't be long before they start turning on Mike Gundy. Um, and, and I think that there will, uh, Iowa state does a good job of frustrating teams. So I'm going to take the cyclones on that one. I, I really, and I really hope they win. And, and I think that's a great story for them. Yeah. Josh, uh, let's then head down to the Sun Belt where, uh, Coastal Carolina is ranked for the first time in their program's history. The Shanties are off to a 4-0 start, but they will be hosting a Georgia Southern team that is you know, not doing so bad themselves. They are off to a 3-1 start with their only loss at uh, uh, Louisiana Lafayette, or I should say just Louisiana as they're going by these days, the Raging Cajuns. Um, this is one of the marquee matchups in the fun belt this season. And I'm, I'm just excited both ways about it. Well, with Georgia Southern, they beat Campbell by just a point. 
had the narrow loss to Louisiana beat a terrible UL Monroe team by just five and then obliterated a god-awful Massachusetts team. So not exactly a murderer's row there. Uh, the Shanties we talked ad nauseum about earlier in the week. We love them. We love their quarterback, McCall. Uh, I said that Lafayette had looked nervous with their ranking. Coastal obviously might have the same problem, but I thought Coastal looked super poised against Louisiana. They appear to have a razor sharp focus. I don't see them stumbling. They were picked to finish at the bottom, if not near the bottom, somewhere around there of their conference. I think they're playing with that chip of their shoulder. They're playing angry. They're playing hungry. And I just want to see them keep winning. It's weird to pick a game out of a rooting interest, but I'm going to be rooting for the Shanties. They're a great story. Yeah, Coach, how about you? How do you feel about this one? Are you going to be rooting for your in-state Georgia Southern Eagles, or do you like the Shawnees here? I mean, I, I think most weeks I would pick the Shawnees, but you know, I, I think Georgia Southern is a team that you know a lot of a lot of Georgia people enjoy to root for it, and you know, a lot of Georgia's fan base are actually people. From Georgia Southern, I have a cousin. I have a lot of cousins. If if you have, you have a that. lot of cousins. This is the one really thing do. I've learned about you. Um, I have a ton of cousins. Uh, first cousins, second cousins, uh, a lot of cousins. But uh, one of them that is uh, my uncle Hank's uh, oldest child. Uh, he's the brother of um, my cousin who lives here in Nashville, and he went to Georgia Southern. He's a huge dog fan. I mean, lives in Athens, obviously, but. Um, he's, he's a huge dogs fan and he went to Georgia Southern. So you get a lot of that fan base down there and, and they kind of like, they kind of like root for each other. It's like one of those, it's weird, but they just, they root for each other. It's kind of, it's, I'm going to ask you this, Josh, do, is there a school in Iowa that, that, that Iowa fans kind of like, is that, is that the same way? Like with North, with Northern Iowa, do, do y'all root for them and they root for you back? Yeah. Um, yeah, I would say a lot of a lot of Northern Iowa fans root for Iowa. Um, it's easier that they aren't uh, the old single A uh, football level. So we don't really play Northern Iowa all that often in football. Same um, with Georgia Southern. Yeah. Um, basketball, a little bit different story. Uh, but I would say most UNI fans. Uh, we'll root for Iowa, and some will also root for Iowa State. But geography-wise, you and I is way closer to to Iowa City. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's not a whole lot of uh, there's not a whole lot of Georgia Tech love uh, amongst other schools. Uh, a lot of people are are, uh, are are Georgia fans. So I'll, this I'll tell you the weird one, though, Coach. Those upper yeah. those upper Iowa Peacock fans they are nasty. They don't root for anyone other than their Peacocks. Man, that's just so bad, so <laughs> selfish. Um, but th- this is, a, th- I mean, going back to the original question, uh, the, the the long way of answering it. Um, this is tough to root for because Coastal Carolina has become one of my favorite stories in uh, in Group of Five or G Five uh, football, and you know they've they've been giant killers. I mean, they've just been so good. I think they're going to win this game. Um, yeah, I think they do cover the spread. Uh, and I do think this, this over under is going to be, um, I think it, I think it's, it should honestly should be sitting at 60, but, uh, cause I think that's where, I think that's where it's going to hit. But, 
part of me wants Georgia Southern to do well uh, because it's just good for the state of Georgia. Um, but part of me wants Coastal Carolina to remain ranked and, and move up the rankings and, and continue to be undefeated just to see if a Sunbelt team can kind of creep in there kind of like Boise State did. So um, either way, I'm happy. Let's just put it that way. That's My that's that's probably yeah. the cop out, but either way, I'm happy. My dream Final Four at this point is uh, Alabama, Clemson, Coastal, and Cincinnati. <laughs> Uh, Georgia, Georgia Tech, Georgia State, and Georgia Southern. There you go. State <laughs> champs, baby. State champs is right. All right. Finally, uh, let's. Uh, we have got a big one in the American Conference. Cincinnati, Texas State versus BYU. No, Cincinnati and SMU uh, will be facing oh, off. Good. And uh, I thought SMU's game last week uh, versus well, when when they played Tulane was going to be. And it was almost. They barely eked it out by three points in overtime, but SMU was able to come away for the victory. These two teams are combined eight and zero. Cincinnati's in the top ten. Shane Bouchelle is one of the best quarterbacks in the country in five games. He's already got seventeen hundred yards. Josh, uh, this one's being played at SMU. Do you think that the Ponies can win it at home, or will that Bearcat defense be able to slow him down? I think they have a great opportunity to win the ponies do because Cincinnati's three and oh top 10 but you look at their three wins uh awesome p down there from the fcs option heavy army not passing the whole lot and south florida is a mess they're easily one of the worst teams not just in the conference but in the entire country so Cincinnati's not coming in with uh too much experience defensively against a pass attack this year that that's very advantageous for SMU. The, the classic case though, is if you look at just the raw talent on the roster and go roster to roster, Cincinnati is probably more talented. Yeah. I, I, and I I think that they have a better coach too there. They do have a better coach, coach. Um, yeah, I, I think. <laughs> um, yeah, Cincinnati, I think uh, if you just look at it on paper, they, you know, er- everything's in their favor, obviously, uh, with, with the with the roster and the coaching staff and, you know, just kind of things going right for them. But, but SMU is a team that, you know, it, they are showing a lot. I mean, Shane Bouchelle is somebody that, I thought was going to be out of football um, when he left Texas. I mean, I just didn't think that it was going to work out. I, you know, you kind of, you kind of just think, oh, well, that's just a dude. There's no way, you know, he's going to go into obscurity at SMU. He probably won't even start all that stuff, but he's come in. I mean, he threw 177 passes in his last game. Wait, no, just kidding. Um, But no, he's uh, 1700 yards, 12 touchdowns, just really efficient with the football. Uh, They, they've, developed quite an explosive attack uh, offensively and you know I, I think the way of the world now uh, in football especially at the college level is uh, explosive offense you know explosive offense is starting to become the way the way to win explosive offense and play a little bit of defense uh, just enough to get you by um, it, it got them by uh, Tulane it, it's kind of gotten them to their uh, 5-0 and mark and uh, you know Vegas is saying I don't know what the hell to do. Uh, it's a two and a half point spread, so that that's essentially a pick 'em. Uh, the over under set for fifty six and a half. I think that's about right. Uh, I think it's going to be high scoring, but but not ridiculous. Uh, so it's going to be fun to watch. It's going to be exciting to kind of see if 
if Cincinnati can can slow them down, if Cincinnati can make the plays and and hang with them, it's going to be one of those who you know whose tempo is going to win out, who's going to control the line of scrimmage, who's going to control the game. You know, can Cincinnati force them into their tempo? Can SMU force them force Cincinnati to play? up-tempo shootout football, which I don't know if Cincinnati can handle up-tempo shootout football. SMU can, but uh, otherwise, I'm, I'm not sure. Let's hop then right into our spread formations to finish off the show. Last week was a week to forget for all of us. Uh, Coach, you managed to go 0-6. Uh, I was 1-5. That's and Josh, impressive. Josh, you were 2-4. and four. Uh, I hope all you guys have been fading Coach's picks all year. He is now 7-23 and 23 on the season. Am I fired? I'm 12 and 18. Josh, you are somehow leading the way at 13 and 17. Um, So let's get right into it. Um, It is the third Saturday in October. So you know what that means, coach. It's time for Alabama, Tennessee. And Alabama is a 21 point favorite on the road uh, in Knoxville. Who do you like, coach? Well, until Tennessee proves that they can cover a spread as an underdog, and until Alabama proves that they can't cover a spread as a major uh, point favorite, I'm going to take the tie. This one, I'm going to at least go. I'm going to at least go one for one for six here because uh, I feel like that's a that's easy money. I'm taking the tide. Josh, tied. Yep, yeah. uh, tied all the way. Bro, tied, Paul. Uh, okay, uh, guys, you know I love a big spread. Team of my youth. What's, what's on this? What's in this big spread? Is it uh buffalo chicken dip, chicken wings? It's a what, seven what layer. It, 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 it's a seven layer dip. One for each touchdown Chili. that Clemson that that Clemson is favored by. Ooh, uh, that's a lot. Clemson is favored by forty six at home against oh the team God. of my youth, the Syracuse Orange. The battle for the color orange, Coach Clemson by forty six. I mean, they just beat Georgia Tech by sixty six. You know, again like Alabama until Clemson proves that they can't cover a big spread, which they've done all year long. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to roll with, uh, with the, um, the Tigers from death Valley. So give me, uh, give me Clemson until you don't give me Clemson. Yeah. Give me Clemson or give me death here. Josh, how do you feel? I usually hate big spreads like this, but not in this one. I, I mean, Syracuse showed their colors. Their a colors week are ago, orange and, and, orange it was, and blue. It was, it was ugly against Liberty. They got blown out. Yeah, I mean, their you know their their holes on defense were as evident as Jerry Falswell's hypocrisy. <laughs> so um, next we've got Oklahoma, uh, unranked Oklahoma, as a seven point favorite on the road in Fort Worth at TCU. Coach, uh, you think that the Sooners can? I don't want to say right the ship. I mean, they beat Texas and a strange Red River shootout a couple weeks ago. Uh, do you think they, they can win, probably get back into the polls this week? Yeah, I don't think that ship is quite right yet um, because they're still relying on a freshman quarterback, so you don't know which way that ship's going to go, to be honest. Um, you know, I, I think they're talented enough to pull this one out. Um, you know, it, it's it's not big enough a spread where, where I feel like the underdog would, uh, you know, is, is well in play here, but... Um, you know, I think they get back on track. I think they kind of get more stabilized this week or as much as you can be with a freshman quarterback. I think you're going to – this is going to require – this is going to require Lincoln Riley to do his best coaching job that he's ever done. And so I think he gets it done on the road at TCU. 
All right. Um, I am going to actually go with... Uh, th- this is tough for me because I was going to take... Um, I was I was thinking about Oklahoma. You know, they, they, they didn't play last week. They've had an extra week off. But there, there's something a little bit out of whack with this Oklahoma team. So I'm going to take... Uh, I'm going to take TCU at home in this one. Josh, who do you like? I actually like Oklahoma. Um, TCU's not doing anything on the ground. Their leading rusher is Max Dugan, their quarterback. And they need to let, whether it's the gambling pick or not, what TCU needs to do is let Max Dugan throw the ball way more than what he's been doing. He had... um, 31 attempts against Kansas State, 30 against Texas, and 19 against Iowa State. But he is averaging um, almost 70% completion rate. He needs to start throwing the ball like 40 to maybe even 50 times for TCU to get going. They can't run worth a lick. But I'm taking Oklahoma in this game. Okay, yeah, no, I, I've just switched my pick right here at the end. I'm going to go Oklahoma as well, which means <laughs> we know that TCU is going to win outright. Yep. Uh, next game, we've got Tulsa, 10-point favorites on the road at South Florida. Josh, uh, I, I know you mentioned that South Florida team is garbage right now, but Coach, uh, you are up first this week in picks. Who do you like here? Ooh, um, you know, South Florida's kind of a mess. We determined that um, when we talked about uh, who Cincinnati has beat and, and kind of how they shape up in that uh, matchup with SMU. Uh, so South Florida, I don't see things improving drastically uh, since then. Uh, Tulsa's kind of on a roll. Uh, I do think they cover uh, the 10-point the spread. I think Tulsa wins and gets the cover. Give me the Golden Hurricanes. Purple All right, hurricanes. Josh? Golden Purple Hurricanes. Tulsa's going to win, but I'm going to zig because South Florida has looked a little bit better. Um, their offense is doing a little bit better um, against East Carolina a couple weeks ago and then nearly knocked off Temple a week ago. I think they lose, but not by 10. Yeah, I I, I like I like South Florida to uh, in this one as well to at least cover, if not win outright. Finally, so it's Bulls time- on parade, huh? Yep, it's time for the Kansas line of the week. They are only 18-point dogs at Kansas State this week, Coach. What side are you on? You know, um, part of me wants to pick Kansas to cover because uh, I don't feel like Kansas State scores at a high enough clip to really get to get beyond that big spread. Um, you know, this is one of those where, you know, you can mind-blank yourself um uh, you know, each way or either way, um, you know, conventional wisdom is going to tell me pick Kansas State. They're going to blow them out. Kansas is pitiful, yada yada yada. They just lost Puka Williams. Ah, you know what? I just talked myself into it. Give me the, give me the, uh, whatever they are. Give me Kansas State. <laughs> <laughs> the Wildcats. There you well, go. Well, this makes for an uninteresting segment because uh, I got Kansas State winning big. Yeah, n- no Puka, no chance. For uh, for for our friends, the Rock Chalks. No puka for you. All right, guys. Well, I think that is going to do it here for us tonight on the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast with our extended Big Ten preview. Mountain West starts back up this week as well, so we will be checking in on them next week. Plus, the Pac-12 is just around the corner. So is the MAC. Guys, it's like really football season. Wait, the MAC opted back in. Didn't well, they? in many ways, I, the MAC never went away. 
I mean, they've always been serving a, a, an adequate product at an inexpensive price on Tuesday nights. No, I, I think the Mac really can't because so much of their athletic budget requires uh, playing the Big Ten teams. I, I don't think they're actually coming back. I thought they were. Uh, Return of the Mac. Let's see. I thought Return they were the one holder. The I thought they were going to shoot for spring football. I mean, I thought everyone was shooting for spring football at some point, but um, let's. Uh, oh, yeah. They're going to play a six a six uh, game schedule. Gonna, there we go. Yeah. Yeah. They they, they, oh. they start week, week, week 10. With we uh, I told you the Mac was coming back. God, yeah. There it's we go. Return of the Mac. <laughs> Jeez. Please. Return of the Mac. All right, my computer's out Return of juice. I gotta get going. Mac. We did not bury the lead. Arkansas has a bye week. We got you covered, Arkansas. You're in every show. That's for you, Mitch. Have yep. We- uh, we, we, it, it's the equivalent of the uh, the Washington State flag at every college game day. I've never heard of that tradition yeah. ever. What, you want to fill me in? College game day doesn't tell uh, me about that every week. No, they never have. <laughs> um, all right. Well, on behalf of. Uh, our own offensive coordinator, the coach, Corey Burton, here in Nashville, Tennessee, and our intrepid blogger, uh, Josh Cook, up there in Chicago, Illinois. This is the professor in the Music City saying so long and see you next time on the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. Ooh, pig, silly. Yes, Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.